This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Good morning and welcome back to Solid Foundation Ministries. Today we're going to continue our study on becoming disciple makers. We're coming to a very important uh, message today. First of all, we need to remember that not everyone understands words the same way we do. When we use a word, it may not have the same meaning to others, so we need to make sure that we define our terms so everybody's on the same page and talking about the same things. Today we're going to look at some important words that we must understand and be able to explain to others if we want to successfully bring people to Christ and then make disciples out of them. We will also be looking at some other um, important steps necessary to bring someone to Christ. One of the most important passages on reaching the lost is found in Romans chapter 10 in verses 9 through 15. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the uh, scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that come call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall we call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them which preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. There are some words used in this passage of scripture that are not understood correctly by most of the lost world and sadly by many Christians also. The first word here is salvation. Many people don't understand what we're talking about. I was talking to uh, someone uh, one time, uh, it's happened more than once, but I was talking to somebody and in the conversation I kept talking about salvation and being saved. And they interrupted me and said, what do you mean by salvation and saved? They don't understand it. So we need to be sure that we do understand uh, what we're talking about. In uh, verse 16, the next verse right after the passage I just read, it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We need to understand that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's for everyone and needs to be communicated to everyone. It is effective only for those who believe, that is, those who trust in Jesus Christ. So what is this salvation that we're after here that the Bible is, uh, or the gospel rather, is the power of God to bring? Well, salvation is the rescue of a person from all the consequences of sin. That means it rescues them to, from hell and the lake of fire. It rescues them from the the uh, problems that come from living in sin. For example, if we don't drink, we don't get the problems of drinking and things like this. And so well, the gospel changes us and we stop doing things. But the problem today is that we present the gospel as only a ticket to heaven. No, the gospel is much more than that. The gospel is a life-changing thing. And when we get saved, we change. 
something happens in our lives that makes us different when the Holy Spirit moves in. And we need to communicate this to people. It's not just a ticket to heaven. Salvation is a rescue of the person from the consequences of sin. Another word that's used here that we don't use very much is propitiation. In Romans chapter 3, verses 24 through 26, it says, And being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins, uh, that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be the be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. Here we're talking about a word propitiation, and I'll bet most of you did not use that word in your conversation this last week, this last month, or maybe even this last year. Maybe never in your life. Jesus is the propitiation for us. That propitiation comes into effect when we put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation and Him alone. It is Christ's righteousness that brings about the remission of sin. So what is propitiation and how does all this work together? Propitiation is the righteous satisfaction and payment for, for transgressions of the law. It is that sacrifice that satisfies God's justice and allows him to, by grace, save us from the consequences of sin. It's, it's that, that, that uh, uh, sacrifice that completely satisfies the justice of God. And it comes about through Christ's righteousness. It says his righteousness. It's not our righteousness. The propitiation becomes effective not when we become good enough. It becomes effective when we trust Christ and his righteousness. He died on the cross as a righteous, pure, uh, holy lamb of God and paid the price for everybody. He is a propitiation for everybody. However, for that propitiation to become effective, we must stop trusting our own works, thinking we can be righteous enough to save ourselves, and start trusting the Christ and his shed blood on the cross. The Bible says it's through faith in his blood, and other the words, the fact that he shed his blood on the cross that we might receive salvation freely from, from God and forgiveness of sin and all the other benefits that come with salvation. But it, we need to understand that only Christ is a sufficient sacrifice. We can't do anything that will earn it for us. Even giving our lives as a sacrifice to God ourselves will not accomplish what's necessary. Only Christ's righteousness is a propitiation for our sin and he died on the cross to make that effective for us another word we need to understand is justification it says in our passage we are justified by his grace it's freely given uh, through redemption and we'll get to redemption in, the, in our next definition so what is justification justification is the righteous act whereby God judiciously declares the believer to be without sin based on the payment made by Christ on the cross of Calvary. That's what justification is. A lot of people, to help them understand that, break the word down into parts and say it makes it just as if I had never sinned. 
Well, it does. That's really what justification does. I don't know that I like that definition all this all that much, but God declares us just, and that's what justification is. But that justification is not based on ourselves and our good works and our being good enough. It's based on the fact that the penalty that we deserved, that is eternal death and eternal separation from God, was paid by Christ on the cross. And when we accept that as a full payment and accept it as a free gift without any works on our part, then we become justified in God's sight. And when he looks at us, he looks at us through the filter of God, of Christ's righteousness. The next word is redemption. So what is redemption? Well, first of all, a redemption is in Jesus Christ and in him alone. There can be no redemption without Jesus Christ. Redemption is to buy back something that was lost. So when something is lost or sold into sin, which we are by our, our uh, federal father, Adam. We were sold into sin when he rebelled against God. And Jesus Christ buys us back from that. And how did he buy us back? He bought us back by shedding his blood on the cross that he might buy us out of the bondage of sin. We're no longer bound to sin as a Christian. We are now uh, able to walk in newness of life. We're able to, to live a life that's pleasing to God. Prior to salvation, it is impossible to live a life that is pleasing to God because God has to look at us through our righteousness. And remember, the Bible tells us that our unrighteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. So it's only when we receive the righteousness in Christ, when it's imputed to us, and we take that righteousness, that's what's presented to God in our stead by Jesus Christ, then and then alone do we have redemption. The next word we need to understand is reconciliation. In uh, Romans chapter 5 and verse 10 it says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by uh, the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, folks, Christ lived a perfect life. I'm going to go a little backwards at this, but Christ lived a perfect life on this earth. And we're saved by the fact that his righteousness, the perfect life that he lived, was offered on the cross in our stead. And uh, because of that, we can be reconciled to God. We're reconciled to God by the death of Christ, his offering that life on the cross. And being reconciled, we are saved by that life that he lived, his sinless life uh, and his uh, resurrected life are the things that, that, that bring us salvation. Reconciliation is the restoration of fellowship between two parties. When you get mad at a friend, you should always seek reconciliation and bring back that that friendship. And that's what we're talking about. Get rid of the differences and take care of it. And that's done by Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And when we receive that, we are then the children of God. We're reconciled. We have that fellowship with God that we were made to have. We were created to have. Uh, the next word that we need to understand is sanctification. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, Unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Now, there's more that goes with that in the context, of course, but I want you to understand here, he's saying that we are 
sanctified, were, were called to be saints. And folks, the Bible never ever, once a person is saved, calls them a sinner again. It now calls them saints. And uh, we don't have to be sanctified by the Catholic Church or any other group. It's done the minute that we're saved. But what does that mean? Well, first of all, sanctification is in Jesus Christ. When we're in Christ, we're sanctified. Uh, all who call upon his name for salvation become saints. They become sanctified. Sanctification is the setting of part of one for special purpose or service. So when we are saved, we think, well, now I get to go to heaven. We think all of this type of thing, and that's all true. There are some great benefits to salvation. But salvation, when we're in Christ, we are now sanctified. We're set aside for a purpose. We're set aside for service to God. And if we rebel against that service, we're going to be fighting God all of our lives until we come to the point where we repent of our rebellion and get back to uh, serving God because that's what he saved us for. I don't know how many times I've said this on this broadcast. I'm going to say it again. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And how important that is, and how important we understand that we're saved by God's grace. It's received through faith, and we don't have to do any works to get it. That's important. But the next verse is every bit as important. It says that we are created in Christ unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So as a saved person, we're to be sanctified, set apart for his service, and we're to live like saints of God who are set apart to bring glory to him, and we're to live lives that bring glory, glory to him. The next word is regeneration, or it's, as it's often used in scripture, born again because that's what it means. It means to regenerate, be regenerated or to be reborn. And in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, it says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now, we need to understand that we're regenerated or born again by incorruptible seed. And folks, let me assure you that our righteous works in our own selves are corruptible seed. We're uh, we're born again by the seed of the Word of God. Uh, the seed of the Word of God is that which uh, the Holy Spirit uses in our hearts to bring us to a conviction of our need for salvation and to uh, uh, cause us to see our sin in the light that it's in. And folks, let me tell you something. In the Bible, when uh, a soul winner in the Bible is trying to bring someone to salvation, always, whether it was Jesus Christ or whether it was the apostles or any preacher in the Bible, when he tried to bring people to Christ, he didn't talk about God's love. He didn't say God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. What they always did is talked about the wrath of God upon sin and how they were sinners, how they had broken God's law and how they deserved his wrath. And we need to be regenerated, born again. We need to have something happen in our lives that changes the way we live our lives. And that happens when the Holy Spirit moves in. When we're born, we become members of the, the family of God. Regeneration is a rebirth of the lost sinner. It's that whereby he receives a new nature and his spirit is brought back to life. If you made a profession of faith 
and there wasn't something that happened inside you that made you want to live differently, that made you understand your sin, that bothered you when you did something wrong, if that didn't happen, then you need to revisit your salvation and make sure that you're truly trusting in Christ and not in your own works. Uh, Folks, when I do something wrong, immediately the Holy Spirit starts telling me I did something wrong, and and I am convicted of it. And usually... I'm sad to say not always, but usually I correct it right on the spot. Sometimes the Holy Spirit has to kick me around a little bit to get me to to straighten out things, but usually I do the best I can to correct it on the spot. So we need to understand these terms, and there are probably some others I could have added in here, but we need to understand them because we're not going to be able to communicate the gospel effectively if we don't understand the things I'm talking about. If we don't understand uh, these terms, because we have to get the people to understand them if they're going to understand what you're trying to tell them when you bring the gospel to them. And if you're going to make disciples, they've got to come to Christ first. That's the first step in becoming a disciple. By the way, it's not the only step. A disciple is someone who is disciplined according to the teachings of his master. And that means he lives according to those teachings. Now, none of us are infallible. We all goof up from time to time, but we need to understand that a disciple is not just someone who's saved. A disciple is somebody who's saved and follows the teaching of our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to take a little change of direction here, and I want to talk about how to receive this gift of salvation. And I know in previous broadcasts I've touched on this, but today I want to go into it again because it's such an important issue. First of all, we need to understand that the gift of salvation is appropriated by believing the gospel. There must be a repentance, a turning from our own works to the exercising faith in Christ and his shed blood, confessing the Lord Jesus Christ and receiving him. The first step is believe. In Romans 3.22 it says, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Now folks, it's telling us right here that the only way to receive the righteousness of God is to believe or trust in Jesus Christ at his shed blood on the cross. It is God's gift to uh, to believers. This righteousness of Christ, it's God's gift to believers. He gives it to us. He puts it in our account. It's there for him to look at and for him to justify us. Believe means to accept the truthfulness of something, but it goes beyond that. It, It means to accept the truthfulness of something and then apply that in your life. A person who says, oh yes, I believe this, but that has no effect on their life, does not really believe. For example, we say we're Bible believers. Do we really believe the Bible? If we do, we do the best we can to live by its principles. But when you come to a principle that uh, uh, you don't happen to like that particular principle, do you find ways to get around it? That's not believing. That's not believing the Bible is the Word of God. You see, if we violate God's principles, folks, we're going to pay a price for it. Now, that's kind of a little bit off subject. That's one of my pet peeves, so forgive me for that. But the second step is to repent. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Now, folks, listen to carefully to what that says. Godly sorrow 
and worldly sorrow are both mentioned here, or the sorrow of the world. And folks, I want us to understand that only godly sorrow works salvation or works repentance to salvation, I guess I should say it that way. And Jesus said, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. So what is this godly sorrow? What is it that we're talking about here? We're talking about having a broken heart because we have offended a holy God. We're talking about about uh, being truly sorry for what we've done and not just sorry because of the fact that we got caught. Now, folks, this kind of sorrow is missing in a lot of people. And you can know the difference. When you were growing up, sometimes you cried and were sorry to your parents, not because you disobeyed, but because you got caught disobeying. And sometimes you were really brokenhearted because you defended your parents, especially when we were younger, that happens. But that's what it's talking about. It's, but that kind of salvation works repentance or causes us to change directions. And the direction we must change is we must stop depending on our own works and depend on the works of Christ. But something else is very interesting in this passage of Scripture. It says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. Now, folks, that's a security statement. That's saying that once you have truly repented and turned to Christ for salvation, you'll never turn away from that again. It just won't happen. And the Bible is very clear on the fact that we're kept by his power anyway, but we will not turn turn our back on it. If you see somebody who seems to have lived a Christian life all their life, and all of a sudden they really turn their back on it, they reject everything of God, they say he doesn't exist, they don't want to listen to him anymore, you can be sure there was something wrong with their so-called salvation. The third step is faith. In Romans 3.25 it says, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, I know we've read this already, to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Christ becomes our propitiation through faith. Faith must be in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and not in anything else. Nothing else can save you. Faith goes beyond simple belief uh, faith acts on what is believed. And the fourth step is to confess. Now, some people misunderstand that, so bear with me here. But it says in Romans 10:9 that if thou sh- uh, shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. We have to confess the Lord Jesus. Now, some people think that, that calling upon the Lord and confessing him and things like this is praying a prayer. It's not. You show me in the Bible where anybody ever prayed a prayer for uh, to get saved. Let's put it that way. You can't find it. But they all confessed Christ. And they all called upon his name. To call upon somebody's name means to, uh, to understand who he is. That's the confession is in, involved in this. Uh, to understand who he is and believe that he can save and then turn to him for salvation. It's not prayer. It's start trusting in him. That's how you call upon the name of the Lord. Confess the Lord also implies submission to him. If we're going to confess him as Lord with the mouth and then we don't do what he says... Have we really confessed him as Lord? The answer is no. We've made verbal assent to the fact that he's Lord. We have agreed to the fact that he is Lord, but we have rebelled against that Lordship. 
And folks, that kind of salvation, or that kind of confession, I should say, will not save you. It implies submission to his authority. You submit to the one who's Lord over you. The lost people submit to their Lord, that is Satan. Now, they don't always understand that they're doing it, but they do. uh, To confess means to acknowledge him as the Savior. Just go to the the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip, uh, when he asked if he could be baptized, said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And what was his response? Was it a prayer? Was it a doctrinal dissertation? No, it was simply, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, if Jesus Christ is the Son of God, don't you think that makes him Lord? And that was sufficient. He didn't have to pray a prayer. He didn't have to go through any rituals. And once he confessed Jesus Christ as being the Son of God, then he was saved and a candidate for baptism, and Philip baptized him. So we need to understand how that works. And the fifth step is to to receive him. Now, folks, I've set these out as steps because we de- we understand things in a sequential manner. This is not a sequence that you have to go through this step and this step and this step and this step. These things usually all happen at once. But there are things that must happen. I just happen to have called them steps because it was an easy way to explain them. But the uh, fifth step is to receive him. It says in uh, John 1.12, it says, For as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, believing on his name is, again, it's, it's, it's an implication of trusting him. Uh, I'll tell you something. If you needed a lot of money, I'm not the one that you would trust and come and ask for it. You would go find somebody who had the money to give you, which means you believe in them, that they're able to do it. And that's what we're talking about here when it talks about believing um, on, on his name, because we know that his name is capable to do what we're seeking. And uh, it says, to as many as received him. Who did they receive? Well, if you go in the context of John chapter 1 and verse 12, you'll find out that it's talking about Jesus Christ who is the Word of God. So you're receiving the eternal Word of God. It means we then have the power to become the children of God. Now how do we do that? By believing, by trusting, by by taking Him at His Word and following through on that. This uh, gift of uh, becoming the children of God is only given to those who believe. We have this doctrine that goes around and it's been going around forever, I guess, but that we're all uh, sons of God. Well, in a sense, a creative sense, uh, that's supposed, that is po- probably true. However, as being true sons of God adopted into his family, it only comes to those who believe. Jesus, talking to the religious leaders of his days, told them they, their father was the devil. Did he not? And we're talking about spiritual issues here. Our spiritual father is God the Father only when we have accepted his son and been born again and born into the family of God. In no other case is that true. To receive him means we bring him into our home, bring him into our hearts, bring him into our lives. We invite him in to to live in us and to guide us and to direct us and to be our our master and our guide through life. And 
our strength in times of trouble and, and all of those things. That's all involved in receiving him. And folks, we need to get to that point of receiving him in that way. We invite him into our heart. However, there's no place in the Bible where that is explicitly stated. We invite him into our lives. We say, okay, I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you. And that's what we're talking about there. Let me sum this up. Um, this way. For people to come to salvation, they must first understand what we're talking about. That makes sense, doesn't it? Just like anything else, Christianity has jargon. That means we have words that have special meaning. Uh, if you're a, a plumber, there are words that have special meaning to you that they don't have to others. If you're another profession, you have those special words. If you're a computer guy, there are words that mean something to you that is different from what other people do. There was a time when the average American understand understood these terms, but today it's not so. We not only need to know which verses to use in reaching the loss, we also need to know how to explain what the verses mean. The definitions I have given tonight are short definitions, but they are sufficient to get the lost to understand. Have you believed, repented, exercised faith, confessed, and received uh, in the biblical sense? Could you explain these words to the lost person to help them understand what salvation is and how to come to salvation? That's what this series really is all about. So I, I hope that it's been of help to you today. And I'll be back and talk to you again next week. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, SolidFoundationMinistries.com or call 828-244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.